in to a new episode of Know Your Carrots. Each week, we bring you a new guest to discuss engineering and culture. We go deep on how they started at Instacart, what they do day to day, and how they have fun. You can find us online at tech.instacart.com, on Twitter, and on Facebook. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please write us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. It goes a long way to help other people discover our podcast, so thanks. Um, yeah, previously I was working at a startup in Ottawa. It's called Foco. Uh, it's kind of oh, so you're from Canada as well. I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 I'm Canadian. I'm from the Ottawa area. also lived in Toronto, Montreal. Uh, uh, excited to, to travel to the NADA headquarters. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I was working at the startup. It was uh, a, or it is a uh, sort of cross between Slack and Instagram. Okay. So it's uh, like corporate communication, but with a more visual orientation than just Slack. Mm -hmm. uh, it is kind of capturing this need that does exist. Uh, largely for retailers, of like being able to take photos of things. Uh, and, and communicate and, and ask if it's in the key and stuff. Yeah, like, uh, I would like the display to look like this. Now, everyone show me your displays so I can figure out if they're all conforming to that. Interesting. Um, so it's like visual merchandising and like yeah, digital exactly. signature. Okay, interesting. There's actually a weird crossover with Instacart in that one of the larger Pogo customers at the time that I left uh, was Whole Foods. Uh, was the largest partner here when I joined. Uh, um, yeah, that was actually a pretty great experience. That was very kind of comprehensive. Uh, I was working front end, back end, kind of did the full Slack experience. Yeah. So like, Every time I see a Slack bug, I Feel the largely pain. understand what's going wrong. <laughs> um, well, thankfully, I did not have to use uh, uh, what do you call it? The stack that Slack uses. Are they the Electron and, and stuff? Uh, well, is Electron, but it's React the and the backend is. Oh, uh, I don't know what backend they use. PHP. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad I'm no, no longer touching that. I think I haven't wrote a single line of PHP in the last fifteen years, which I'm really glad. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's been a while for me as well. Yeah. Uh, so, what are you mostly doing here today? Like, I know that you work on the catalog, but like, <laughs> what what you guys working? What, yeah. What do I do? Uh, on the catalog side, I have been basically focused my entire time since going here. On both scaling and correctness of the data that we ingest. Mm -hmm. uh, and for a very long time, getting ourselves into a position where we are okay with scaling uh, took the majority of time. And there's this unfortunate trade off is that it's not always easy to approach both scaling and correctness, or scale and correctness at the same time. And 
we were in a position where if we had to sacrifice one, it was always correctness. Um, so we are now thankfully in a place where our systems are running fast enough that uh, our only real bottleneck is our Postgres database. Okay. Uh, and so the history of Instacart as an engineering org was you know, started a Rails app, backed by Postgres, and then a expansion from there. Catalog was one of the first teams to separate our own database from that uh, once shared database. Uh, and we did that because we uh, felt sad every time we brought down the main site. Yeah, <laughs> uh, understandably why. <laughs> so we separated out into our own Postgres database, but there's really just like Postgres is meant to run on a single instance primary, uh, and there's a, a limit to how far that can go in terms of you can only write so much to a single Postgres instance. Uh, and of course, there are ways of kind of going around that with Postgres. Uh, but we realized that uh, one, Postgres is our current bottleneck and would continue to be. Uh, but also, our correctness wasn't where it Needed should to. be, mm -hmm. uh, needs to be. Uh, and part of that was just the, the way that our systems evolved. Uh, there was a lot of incidental complexity. A lot of the systems were had evolved uh, as a series of uh, optimizations, basically, in order to try to uh, either use the database less or uh, not create dependencies between things so that if one thing went down, another thing wouldn't. Uh, so we ended up with this fairly sprawling system that uh, was, when I got here, quite monolithic. Uh, it's now fairly well isolated, uh, which has been good. Mm -hmm. now we've, we used to have incidents basically every week where the whole system would go down uh, because of one thing or another. It really wouldn't matter what it was. Uh, and then because we had so little headroom, it would take us like all day to get our data into the position it should be. Uh, so now it's uh, a lot more isolated, a lot more performant. Uh, when one thing goes down, it tends Tony. not to take down other things. Um, but uh, the correctness still isn't there because that was not the focus at that time. Uh, and we have kind of learned as a team that being sure about uh, the correctness of data, uh, you need to have a few properties going for you. Uh, and let's, let's say two properties. Uh, one of those is having a full history of all the things that have happened to that data. And the second is if you want to be able to actually do anything with that history to have the compute power to recompute where your data should be. Uh, and so we had kind of discovered this through a kind of ad hoc path of 
changing some parts of our schema and uh, using our data warehouse to try to reconcile things and figure out what things were wrong. Uh, we realized that one, as we stored more history of data, things got better. Uh, but two, uh, a lot of the things that we did on catalog could be expressed as queries. Basically just taking data from one place, transforming it, aggregating it, and creating a different view of that data. Uh, and I guess that's how you get this idea to use a snowflake. Oh. <laughs> that, that was very much how we ended up in Snowflake, uh, in that not only do they have very cheap storage, uh, so one of the uh, big impediments to s storing all of our data was just the storage. Once you start actually recording all of the history of uh, retailer data that we uh, that we ingest, uh, it would quickly blow out the limits of any Postgres database. Uh, uh, what size we're talking about? So, like, I know that like our Postgres database right now is limited to five terabytes. So, what would have uh, like what, what's the growth rate like for us? Do 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 you know, do you know like how how much how much we would add? Like yeah, it, it really depends how you decide to slice it. Like, there's mm -hmm. a lot of ways that you could look at it. Uh, like maybe you look at only things that are changed, mm -hmm. uh, but then you need to like have some computation to figure out what, what is the right changes. set of things that arrives at what the current state of things, given that set of history of changes. Uh, or maybe you look at it as like the compressed row data. Maybe you look at it as the headerless data. Uh, but if you look at it in terms of just like the raw JSON data that's uncompressed, uh, we're now looking at uh, close to, uh, oof, geez, uh, it's been a while since I looked at this, say hundreds of gigabytes of data. Okay. Uh, although with compression, which Snowflake does for you, uh, it actually is quite a bit smaller. Um, but we, we've been ingesting things steadily in uh, Snowflake for a few weeks now. Uh, and uh, we have some tables that are now at like half a trillion rows. So you know, even if each of those rows is one byte, that's it's still, you, yeah. you're going to get to a terabyte pretty fast. And, and we do have like their old text description and like quantities and like a lot of stuff here so like row is pretty big right? Yeah, yeah row can be pretty big although uh, a nice thing in terms of compression is that the largest columns tend to change the least and the columns that change the most uh, are like price and availability so mm -hmm. that's a float and a boolean or uh, it could be an integer and a boolean. Uh, so it's actually like data that can be compressed quite well, uh, but really no matter how you slice it, like yeah. we're looking at uh, billions of attributes a day uh, that are being sent to us. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a lot, but Snowflake lets us store all of that data in one uh, and uh, compute over it. We've, we're doing things now with Snowflake uh, that, like, taking our, a week's worth of history 
and rolling up what the most current value for an item should be. Uh, and in our current system, which is not designed for that task, okay. uh, would take us uh, probably days to get through it. So, so basically right now you can pretty much have like time travel uh, like up to like any point and then see. Yeah. Uh, so that's in contrast to our current system, which is update in place, where when you update something with bad data, you have lost what the good data should be. Being yeah. able to time travel and uh, revert is becomes super powerful in order to maintain the consistency of data. Because uh, being able to do so lets you at any time mark when data is bad. So uh, you can uh, say like this file was bad, or mm -hmm. this this column from this retail was bad today, uh, and having a way of uniformly uh, recording the fact that data is bad, as well as automatically recovering from that, uh, turns out to be a super powerful feature uh, that is almost necessary if you don't want to have compounding. Uh, errors in your data, because that is really the the thing that kills us. Like it's not that every day we're really bad at recording data. It's just, it's just that sometimes when it happens, it's like very yeah. Sometimes damaging. bad things happen. Like maybe there's a database timeout, and like normally our systems are tolerant to that. But you know, maybe something special happens on a certain day. Maybe the retailer sends bad data, which mm -hmm. happens all the time. Maybe our operational team created a bad setting and it went unnoticed for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, being able to recover from all of these things uh, is only possible if you have that ability to time travel. So you're basically kind of treating like all the settings as a data and all the data as a data as well because they together yeah. and they yeah, exactly. create the uh, mutations of the previous state to the new one. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, settings are data and it's not enough to only have a history of the data but what, what were the things that influenced the data at that point of time? Uh, for instance, we have a, a table uh, that re represents our column maps, which is a retailer sends us uh, a CSV file, it has columns, those columns will have names, the data will be in some format that, mm -hmm. that is convenient for them, and then we will map that to a sure. normalized version so yeah. that all of the columns are named consistently all the values of consistent types. And then you uh, get the JSON out of that, right? Yeah. Uh, but those column maps are configuration. We, we change them for a number of reasons, often because the retailer decides to change something or add something or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but knowing what that configuration was at a given time or should have been at a certain time, being able to even retroactively apply configuration uh, is also a a super powerful thing because what happens if you find out oh we forgot to map this column a month ago and that's why we like missing okay uh, being able to say go back and treat this data as though it was mapped a month ago super powerful cool um, so this sounds like actually a lot as uh, event sourcing which a lot of financial systems doing right so when you really storing the like initial amount like initial data and then you're just doing like the list of events, list of mutations, and, and then your final step is basically 
uh, left fold, like this drive. Yeah, it's like left fold of your like yeah. list of mutations, and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we definitely took a lot of ideas from event sourcing, as well as another uh, data warehousing technique that's called data vault, uh, which is uh, uh, very briefly a uh, pattern that involves storing a history of changes, mm -hmm. uh, but it's very explicit about join tables and uh, how to work with external versus internal IDs. Uh, and we have very complicated relationships with external and internal IDs. Uh, so being very explicit about how we capture those changes mm -hmm. uh, on top of our data uh, ends up being very important. Cool. So, um, do do you work on like any like projects outside of Instacart, just like for yourself? Like I know, like I noticed that you were doing like this, like changes to the Postgres driver. <laughs> like, uh, do 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 you work on like any other like open source projects or like your pet projects? Uh, so, one, I'm frequently making pull requests to libraries that I use as I come across either problems or features that I mm -hmm. like uh, because that's how you get things that you like. Yeah. Uh, but that's, I don't have a like a library that I have a particular affinity to in the open source world. Just drop in and make changes. Um, I usually do have a, a project that I work on, uh, a personal project as well. Currently, I'm working on a project that, um, hmm, do I care to share this? <laughs> this is a good question. Let's see. Um, hmm. uh, yeah, I think it's very broadly, it is a, uh, a tool for Music transcription, so recording mm -hmm. uh, music, uh, uh, with some generative facilities on top of it. Oh, interesting. Um, so that is in Clojure and Clojure Script. Oh, nice. So you you do like for functional languages and like fold left. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm a big Lisper, yeah. big okay. functional programmer. Closure library built on React. Mm -hmm. Oh, like Ohm, I think it's like it was another one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's called Reagent. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's definitely where my, my heart lies in terms of uh, programming. But I don't know, like, uh, I think you, know, you, you have to use the right tool for the job. As it turned out, as we kind of discovered through working with it, the right tool for catalog was really data engineering type tools, uh, since that is what we do. We yeah. engineer these large quantities of data. Uh, and there are functional aspects that we are building into the pipeline that mm -hmm. we're creating. Uh, you can definitely conceive of our pipeline as a series of functional transformations. Mm -hmm. and I think thinking about data in that way is super 
uh, important. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know if you would call that functional programming per se, because mm -hmm. it's not really a functional language, it's written in SQL. Uh, but uh, still, I think understanding functional techniques and thinking about data in those ways uh, has been continues to be very valuable. Ah, nice. Um, I also know that you making some changes to the Blazor and like the added comment center. Do you want like to uh, talk a little bit about that? Like, what is this and like, why do you guys uh, added it to the Blazor? Right. Uh, this is something I have not really shared with Instacart as a whole, but should probably. It's still rough around the edges, but uh, the idea for that was to take Blazor, which uh, lets you store and uh, display queries uh, in a uh, nice, flexible fashion. Uh, uh, builds on top of that interface of like, mm -hmm. write a query, you display the query. Uh, but the issue that we end up running into with that is sharing the knowledge of queries and uh, keeping one having like real-time dashboards as a result of those queries. Mm -hmm. uh, so the latter is maybe a bit of an extra S, but the, the main goal is really to have a way of organizing your Blazor queries such mm -hmm. that uh, you say that this is the set of health metrics for my team broken up into categories. Um, which we had done previously in a pretty ad hoc way. Like we'd either just like have a crypt document with Blazor queries listed out in it, or a Blazor dashboard, which was still not like super easy to discover. Mm -hmm. People had like written all their own dashboards for things. Do you want to quickly demo it? Because we I think we're still recording the... Uh... Yeah, sure. I think it's still recording. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, yes. uh, uh, cancel. Cancel. Do not quit and delete. Uh, wait, what? Did it? Yeah, yeah let's do stop recording. Right. Like, let's see if it's Okay, perfect. Yeah, and then there's going to be like a lot of empty space. Sure. Let's click like another record and like we can uh, like record the. <coughs> So, we have Blazor on a whole, on the whole, which... Yeah, this like endless list of queries. Endless list of queries, super hard to figure out what is right, even like my own list of queries, still incredibly long, like, it's, well, they haven't all loaded, uh, still uh, hard to figure out mm -hmm. what I care about. Uh, so this adds a admin, not an admin engine, a Rails engine onto Blazor as the command center. Okay. So this is a kind of personal view of the things that I care about. Okay. And it is things I care about as defined by the teams that I am subscribed to. Okay. Uh, so you can create a team at any time and I've subscribed to the catalog, the catalog items, and the Snowcat team, which is the 
Snowflake catalog team. Uh, so you had some other people. Uh, yeah, n yeah, I created uh, our team, but like I never finished configuring it. Uh, and going back to that homepage, mm -hmm. I have a list of alerts that are coming from those teams right now, as well as all the uh, dashboards for that set of teams. So this is the file ingestion dashboard for catalog items. Uh, you can see that uh, you know, we had big spike mm -hmm. uh, 10 million availability inserted events at 1 p.m. Uh, and you can filter it by more granular so within the last three hours is what it looks like uh, it's basically just a list of queries mm -hmm. oh and you can just switch between their uh, dashboards this here the uh, catflow which is the catalog airflow project switch between the list of queries. Uh, there are ways of, so Blazor has this idea of like uh, smart variables that are yeah. backed by tables. Uh, I don't think I have an example of this. It's pity, but if I had a query that had one of those smart variables, say like warehouse ID, I would be able, I would you will see have it, that it. there is a list of warehouse IDs there. I'd be able to select a warehouse that I care about and have the query filter into that specifically. Nice. Uh, so within uh, your either your team or you have just a user, mm -hmm. so I'm able to create my own dashboards, my own checks, uh, but also the teams have their dashboards and checks. If individuals care about their own things, they can create them. Uh, but I think it's more broadly as a way of sharing things between teams. Uh, so the catalog items has no checks, but in mm -hmm. the dashboards, which you had seen there. And uh, going into them it takes a little while to load because it first queries for all Blazor queries. I should really optimize that, but I am not. So uh, you know, the dashboard is just a name plus a list of metrics. So, each so this, metric is, has a this, name this is different. Um, Blazor yeah, this is different dashboard from the, the uh, Blazor dashboard, right? Yeah. It's like your own da dashboard engine. Yeah, this is the command center dashboard. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so these dashboards are allow you to uh, have variables that get inserted based on this interface, as mm -hmm. well as the refresh based on the interval that you're looking at. So like, yeah. So you can do like display and uh, yeah. push it change and so nice. They, they stay updated in real time. Uh, yeah, this is cool. I think we need to uh, make this thing like more popular because I personally really like it when I, when I first see it. So you quickly mentioned Airflow. So, um, and as far as in this like the new tool that you're kind of trying to use to, to run all this, like the variety of queries that you're planning to write in the Snowflake. Yep. So, uh, can you tell me about that and like maybe some other tools that like you like using every day right now in your... Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so, Airflow is a interesting project. I'm it's not as, uh, as great as it could be in that it's 
was really designed to fit the needs of Airbnb. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also uh, works a lot better than a lot of the other things we use here that fit into that niche. Okay. Uh, specifically, some of our teams use just straight up cron jobs mm -hmm. that are analysts and data engineering team. Uh, and other, most of other teams, I think, use combination of sidekick yeah. and clock or zong. Yeah, which is still running on top of the sidekick. Yeah. Uh, so Airflow is a bit of a up in the base. Um, so it presents the list of, it organizes everything as a directed acyclic graph. So each one of these is a graph unto itself. Um, mm -hmm. So each task has some set of, or each thing within the graph is a task, and each task can have an order associated with it dependent on previous tasks. Mm -hmm. uh, as it happens, I've written all of these as single node graphs. So mm -hmm. So it's basically trees, right? Oops. To connect to, uh, yeah. To connect to this, but I can't. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty annoying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it has a scheduler node that kind of knows what schedule uh, DAGs should run on, and it figures out looks at that schedule, looks at the day, schedules the tasks that need to be run for that day at that time. Uh, and then it has a kind of distributed worker pool that it runs things on. Uh, so, you know, very much in the vein of Clock plus Sidekick, uh, but, you know, uh, I would say more straightforward interface, easier to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably better reporting too, not just like numbers of failed tasks. Yeah, yeah the, the reporting is backed by uh, a Postgres database, so like, that stuff is being logged there, which turns out to be pretty useful. Uh, there's also, uh, it's pretty configurable, like you can use Postgres, but you can also use MySQL, probably some other things. Uh, similarly, as the like queue uh, system, we're using Redis just because that was the lowest very entry thing internally, mm -hmm. but could also use Rabbit, could use SQS. Uh, so it gives you a lot of flexibility, and uh, so far I'd say it has been kind of more reliable than our uh, psychic stuff. Okay. Uh, anyway, it's, it's not without its, its own breaks, but uh, it is better at this sort of thing than an ad hoc collection of things. <laughs> I see. Yeah, so it's like it brings like a structure to like the entirety of the processes that like catalog in this case need to run. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as it happens, like uh, our current set of jobs wouldn't be a great fit for this, but just the direction that we're heading uh, for the sort of data engineering tasks we're doing, this ends up being a much better fit. 
Okay. So w what are other tools uh, that, that you use in Delhi? And it's both like it may be like, like I, I noticed you guys using Asana, uh, but at the same time it's just like, a, like you, you showed that like you're using Emacs as your main uh, driver every day. So like do, what else do you use? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm very not sentimental about my tools. I Maybe only that's use a good things thing. <laughs> that give me immediate value. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Asana helps keep our team working together. When we aren't all committed to that, I quickly fall out of using it because it loses its value very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, likewise, I use Emacs because uh, largely historical reasons, but yeah, uh, that's your know, least past, I guess. Yeah, uh, I happen to have invested probably by now tens of thousands of hours of working inside of it. Uh, so I know it well, uh, but it's also very configurable. Uh, and I use Vim bindings and style of Emacs, which mm -hmm. uh, Vim bindings. Oh, this is what space Emacs is, right? So, like uh, so the, the actual like layer that provides the Vim bindings is called Evil, mm -hmm. but space Emacs kind of gives you easy access to Evil. Mm -hmm. uh, and space Max is like, Basically, just Emacs plus same defaults. I used to have like thousands of lines of configuration for Emacs. Mm -hmm. Now my config file is quite small and mostly just default values. So it's a, a nice change. Nice. Um, other than that, I mentioned rip grep. Can't recommend strong grepping enough. Git clearly uh, essential tool for us. Um, uh, and yeah, like, it really depends on what I'm doing. Basically, all of the other tools are very context-dependent, dependent. okay. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, actually, I guess the one tool that uh, I do uh, use pretty heavily uh, in a variety of contexts is Docker as well. Mm -hmm. That's something our infrastructure team has been moving to, which I'm thankful for, as it's let me deploy this Airflow uh, cluster quite easily, um, mm -hmm. barring the fact that I was beta testing our new Dockerized system. But uh, if if I were to do it again, <laughs> it would Definitely. be quite easy. Yeah, uh, and you know, it gives you a great way of like uh, one very low uh, set of costs, so everyone who joins the team can run. Basically, a single command. Just like the Docker compose and like get like yeah. every single container needed to run. Yeah. Get, get up. Like this. yeah. And you know that those things that are running on your local machine are almost identical to what is running in production. Yeah, because it's all just containers on the same Linux yeah. kernel. Yeah. So the, the difference between that and you know, running a Ruby process on the Mac and then having a, another process running in the cloud that gets set up through a setup process that it's only easy to run in the cloud anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the level of parity between systems as well as the level of effort of uh, shipping those systems really drops with that sort of consistent model that Docker mm -hmm. has, which I'm very appreciative for. <laughs> cool. Um, so what do you do for fun? I know you're cycling to work every day. <laughs> Other than that. I don't really do that for fun. <laughs> I, I do enjoy it, but I just don't really do it for fun. <laughs> I, I hugely enjoy the fact that I get to cycle in for my commute. It is a, uh, a wonderful privilege that I would be sad without. 
Uh, otherwise, fun, um, as uh, you might have surmised from my personal project, uh, I am uh, a big music fan. I enjoy playing jazz piano. Uh, it, I'm terrible at it because it's ridiculously hard to do. <laughs> if, if I can give an excuse for myself, but uh, uh, it, I, I still just really love the, the study of music mm -hmm. and, uh, and trying to improve myself. <laughs> yeah, I know that James is on on your uh, team was also a huge music fan and like he's uh, playing some experimental stuff. Do you ever like get idea to judge, uh, jump together or like? It's really <laughs> pretty. <laughs> Alright, uh, uh, I, oh, thank you, I think it was like very cool and um, oh, uh, we'll maybe like try to do it again in like some time or uh, maybe just like uh, get like some uh, bigger things to work on like in, like for the open source. Thank you. Okay. Know your carrots.